We're going to begin tonight in the book of Mark, chapter 16. Um, if you have a pen, you want to write some of this down. I'm going to spend a lot of time moving quickly through scriptures tonight. I know I just gave Shiloh a headache and sweat on his brow back there tonight, but we're going to move through a lot of scripture. I do want to say again that we are very blessed to have uh, Brothers Jones with us tonight and love and appreciate these men. Um, it's always a, a pleasure to have people of like precious faith to worship with us. Amen. Very, very thankful for them. To all of our guests that are here tonight, we're just blessed and honored to have you here with us. Amen. What a blessing it is to have you here. And uh, we just want the Lord to touch your hearts tonight and speak to you. I'm going to be quite frank with you. Uh, I have wrestled all day today with direction, not because uh, I don't have anything to preach or teach, but because I don't want to miss the Lord. I spent all day in my office today just asking the Lord, what should I do? Came in the sanctuary for a while. Lord, what do you want tonight? And I told Sister Bingham this evening when I picked her up, I said, Mamma, I just have no idea. I want, to, I want to flow tonight. I want to be right. I want to do the right thing. And the Lord gave me such clarity when I walked through uh, the doors of my office tonight after I dropped Sister Bingham at the front door. The Lord gave me some crystal clear direction. How many of you know the Lord knows the thought and the intent? Yeah. Amen. I'm going to deal tonight with the subject truth or tradition. But we're going to talk about baptism. And so I want us to jump in tonight. In Mark chapter 16, I, I don't know why the Lord deals the way that he does, but I felt very strongly tonight that this was the direction the Lord wanted us to take. The traditional viewpoint of water baptism is, in this modern Christian era, is that it's not necessary to be baptized to be saved. And that baptism is essentially an outward profession of an inward faith. If that's what the Bible teaches, then that's the truth. If that's not what the Bible teaches, then it's tradition. I would prefer to stand with truth. I believe, according to Mark chapter 16 and verse 16, that he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Now, this is not Pentecostal rhetoric. In your Bible, this is probably, unless you don't have a red letter edition, this is probably going to be written in red letters. Because this is not the teaching of some Pentecostal preacher that's hard-nosed and doesn't want to See anybody saved? This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. So let's see tonight, truth or tradition, if baptism is just an outward profession of an inward faith or is this covenant language that we enter into to become not a part of a local assembly but a part of the bride of Christ? And if so, does it matter how we are baptized? If the Bible says it does not, then it does not matter. If the Bible says it does, then it matters. And I believe that we can prove unequiv unequivocally by Scripture alone that baptism is necessary, that it's essential, and that it matters. Amen? God, speak to us through your word tonight. Let every heart be tender towards you. Let every mind be in the right place. Let every spirit be receptive, I pray tonight, God, for good soil. Because I know that this is always good seed. Your word is the perfect seed. But tonight, Lord, the enemy would love for this good seed to fall on stony ground. And the enemy would love for a raven to come and steal that seed. The enemy would love tonight for this seed to go into shallow ground so that when the sun comes out, it will scorch it. But tonight we're cutting him off at the pass. 
And we declare in the name of Jesus that there will be fertile soil. That you, Lord, would till up the fallow ground. And that the good seed of the word of God would be planted in rich soil. And that it would bring forth good fruit. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Let the church say amen. 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 Would you greet someone in Jesus' name tonight before you're seated? I love being with people that love to be with people. Have you ever sat down with somebody and you just could not wait? Now, don't raise your hand because they may be here. You ever sat down with somebody and you could not wait for the lunch to be over? Because they don't, they don't like being with people. You, you go eat with somebody and they're rude when the waitress comes up and they're mean. And they're, you're like, oh, Lord, I can't wait for it to be I like being with people that like to be with people. I have a candy stick sometimes. I tell my wife when we go places and people walk up to the table and they're trying to serve us, you know, and they act like they don't want to be there. I'm like, I didn't fill out that application for these people. Like they, they chose to wait tables. You know, that's like, this is what they, they chose to do this. And if you don't like to do it, man, you need to find you somewhere else. Why are you saying that, Pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked because if you can't find joy in serving the Lord, There's another option. You don't have to serve him. But thank God tonight for the opportunity and thank God for precious people that are in love with serving the Lord. Aren't you glad that he picked you up out of the miry clay and set your feet on a solid rock and established your going? Praise God. He that believeth is saved. Or some would say. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Now, there's a word that you hear quite frequently, I would imagine, if you're paying attention at all that comes from this pulpit, and that is a word called hermeneutics. You have heard me speak of being hermeneutically sound. You have heard me talk. What does that mean? Hermeneutics is very simply put, it is the way that we interpret the scripture. Now, hermeneutically speaking, the Bible says that the scripture is not given to any private interpretation. Somebody say that with me, amen. No private interpretation. You cannot pick out your idea of what the scripture should say. And say, well, it doesn't really say that, but it insinuates that. If God wanted to insinuate it, he would insinuate it. Because the scripture is explicit and it's implicit. And there are some things that are not black and white that we live implicit because it's been implied. But there are some things that are explicit. I want to tell you what's explicit, and that is the plan of salvation. Jesus made it very plain that you don't just come in any way you want to come in. Jesus said, I am the door. And if any man come in any other way than by me, he is a thief and a robber. How many of you believe there's going to be thieves walking around everywhere in heaven? You think there's going to be a place for robbers in heaven? I don't. I think there's going to be a place maybe for folks that were thieves and robbers, but they repented of their sins and God fixed that. Thank the Lord for mercy. But you're not going to come in by just finding you another door. I'm going to sound a little desensitized here in the very beginning, but just stay with me and know that I love you when I say this. The Lord did not leave an an exceptional clause in the scripture for what your grandmother taught. He did not leave an exceptional clause in the scripture for your grandfather's hermeneutical privilege that he took on private interpretation. What the word of the Lord says is what the word of the Lord means And so tonight, I want to spend just a few minutes with you and talk to you about baptism. I truly don't know why God has rested this on my spirit the way that he has, but I'm going to obey the Holy Ghost tonight. Now, the book of Acts, the second chapter, is so vitally important to the the history of the church. I know that some would rather read church history, uh, as in encyclopedia history, as to what the church uh, is, but I want to tell you that The records we find in church history are not what the church were, it's what the church became. Does that make sense? 
the historical records that we find in uh, religious encyclopedias, and some of those tonight I will point out to you specifically, they are not what the church began as, they are what the church became. Why did they become that? I'm going to tell you why they became that. Because if you live for God easy, it's hard. But if you live for God hard, it's easy. And when people started putting their shoulder to the plow and they realized that if you preach a doctrine that's contrary to popular policy and procedure, you may end up being a martyr for truth's sake. And they said, well, I don't want to really be a martyr. I've seen what happens to martyrs. And very specifically, they knew what happened to martyrs. Because the people that were changing the doctrine were the ones that were martyring people who refused to change the doctrine. And it was a very scary and a very bloody part of history when we realized that it was what some would call the church fathers, early Christendom. What, that's what historical records calls it. Early Christendom that was martyring Christians. Now... There's been no aberration of what I'm telling you tonight. I'm telling you for a fact. You can read it. You can find it. People that claimed to be Christians were killing people that were Christians. Now, you can find men that some would praise throughout history, such as Constantine. I'm going to tell you, there's something amazing about Constantine. Constantine was very hard about it, and I don't want to get ahead of myself. But Constantine was extremely so hard on uh, the Catholic idea and, and triune baptismal formula that if you didn't want to be baptized in that way, that was your choice. But uh, there was a good chance that you were going to end up on a stake or a good chance that you were going to end up on a cross or a good chance that you were going to end up wrapped in, uh, uh, in, in, in the skin of an animal that had been killed and then they would turn a wild beast loose. You can read... Uh, uh, specifically about Nero and men like that in the annals of Tacitus. Tacitus was the personal biographer of Nero, and you can read in there that the only crime these people committed, who he was allowing wild beasts to, to uh, devour them, and if you read it, it's a sickening way that he would do it. He would have uh, hordes of women come over to his, uh, to his big home and, and his beautiful gardens, and there they would have... Uh, uh, Horrible sexual lewd acts and while they were doing that and eating meals They would sit and watch these Christians that were loyal to one named Christus Tacitus said And that he would take the skins of dead animals and would tie them to the bodies of these people And while they were having big sexual parties and eating and laughing and cutting up and enjoying pleasures of life They would sit and watch these people be devoured because they would not recant that they believed that God was one. And they would not recant that, that you had to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. But what's so interesting about this coward that would do these horrid acts is that Constantine himself refused to be baptized by the Catholic triune formula. He wanted everyone else to be baptized that way, but he refused to be baptized that way. He wanted everybody else to be in the church, but he refused to be in the church. And what we see is that what should have been pure religion became nothing less than political power that was done under the name of religion. It became a political structure and they politicized the gospel and it became what pushed behind. If you don't believe that, then you tell me how it's possible for a church, a church now, what is a so-called church, to be the only religiously recognized movement in the world that has their own country. When you're in Rome and you go to the Vatican, when you step through the gates of the Vatican, you are no longer on property of Italy. You are in part of the state of the Vatican. The Vatican has money. They have their own government. They have their own security. They have everything that they need. They've got it all right there. Why did this happen? I'm going to tell you why. Start looking at history. 
They started taking Bibles away from people. Why in the world? If you wanted people to be religious, why would you take their Bible away from them? I'm going to tell you why. The same reason they're going to try to take them uh, at the coming of the Lord from us again. Because people are not ignorant. And if you put truth in front of them, they're going to read truth. And they're going to start asking questions. If this is why we're doing why are we not doing it like the Bible said it? Now, right now, what we see in modern religion is a bunch of blind people leading blind people. How do you know? Because they both fallen in the ditch. The Bible said when the blind lead the blind, they both fall in the ditch. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. If the gospel that's being preached does not transform your life, it is another gospel. If the gospel that you've heard being preached does not change your life and lead you to conversion... And lead you to walk out of darkness into his marvelous light. It is another gospel. And the apostle said, I don't care if it's a man or an angel that comes preaching any other gospel than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. So you must understand that the gospel, as one televangelist put it, he said they asked him his his stance uh, on modern day ideas of marriage and same-sex marriage and his, his TV interview said this. Well, in my opinion, the gospel is constantly evolving. Negative, amigo. The gospel does not evolve. Neither do we. If you can buy in that the gospel evolves, then you might as well buy in that humans are still evolving. I'm telling you tonight, the gospel does not evolve and the gospel does not change. Jude said, I started to write to you concerning so common salvation. He said, but something got a hold of me and started eating me alive. So let me say to you like this. Jude said it like this. He said, I want you to earnestly contend for the faith. Everybody say the faith. The faith that was once delivered to the saints. Once delivered. In other words, there's not going to be a new message to deliver. There's not going to be a new gospel to deliver. And if the Lord said in his word that it was required of us to be saved, but some ripped up muscle dude in his jean jacket, Unbuttoned shirt with his chest hair hanging out. Standing there with his ripped jeans says, that's not necessary anymore because this is a new dispensation of grace. If he says that and it's contrary to the word of God, guess what? Woo! Pastor, I, I, I wish you'd start talking about miracles. Let me tell you something. I'm telling you about the greatest miracle that's ever been known. He called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. If there was only one way, I'd want somebody to tell me about it. Now, church history, if you want to understand church history, then we need to go to where the church began. Where did the church begin? It began in the actions of the apostles, in the acts of the apostles. In the book of Acts, the second chapter. This is so vitally important for us to understand. That if there has been vacillation, if there has been a change in the doctrine that was taught in the book of Acts, it really doesn't matter what your encyclopedia or church history book says. If it's contrary to the book of Acts, then it's contrary to the church. Amen. In the book of Acts, the second chapter, they asked Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? Acts 2 and 37. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Verse 38. Then Peter said unto them. Now let's walk through this together. Repent. And be baptized. Every one of you. If you want to. In the name of Jesus Christ for, for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I want to make something crystal clear to you tonight by scripture, not by my opinion. 
If you're not baptized in the name of Jesus, then you haven't been baptized for the remission of sin. You've been baptized for the sake of tradition. But not for the remission of sin. I, 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 don't, I don't understand why. Because the scripture said that it is for the remission of sin that we're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. 22 and 16 of Acts. Acts 22 and 16. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, every one of you. For what? For the washing away of thy sins. Arise, be baptized, wash away thy sins. Somebody shout this out now. Calling on the name of the Lord. Yeah, well, if you, if you read the scripture correctly, you understand that whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I agree. But it matters where we call on the name of the Lord just because I say, Lord, Lord, Lord. If that's true, then the word contradicts itself. Because Jesus himself said that many in that day would say, Lord, Lord. Does he not? Have we not cast out devils in thy name? Have we not healed the sick? Yeah, whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's not true. Not in the context in which it's being presented. Because Jesus said that those who cried out and said, Lord, Lord, that he would look at them and say, depart from me. You're a worker of iniquity. I never knew you. It's not enough to just call as in say the name of the Lord. It matters that you're calling on the name of the Lord in baptism. It answers that question. Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 9. I'm going to move as quickly as I can tonight. If you get bored, just get up and run and take a lap with me and you'll wake up and everybody else will too. They'll think we're having revival. Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 9. Why does it matter to call on the name of the Lord? Well, I'm glad you asked. Great question. For in him, who? Jesus. Dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now, folks, you just can't ignore this. We do not believe, despite what some have told you, that there is one person in the Godhead. We do not believe that. We do not believe that there is one person in the Godhead. We believe that the Godhead is in that person. We do not just believe in one God. We believe that God is one. We believe that God is indivisible. Well, why would you believe that? Because verse 10 says, And ye are complete... In Him. In Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in Him. That's why Jesus said, You can't get to the Father but by me. If you want to be complete, you've got to come through the Christ. Because He is the head of all principality and power. In whom also you are circumcised. With the circumcision made without hands. In putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Verse 12. How? Buried with him in baptism. Wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Just as in the Old Testament one must be physically circumcised to be accepted into the covenant with God in the New Testament. You must be spiritually circumcised to be accepted into the new covenant with God. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 20. Which sometime were disobedient. When once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. While the ark was a preparing. Wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Somebody shout water. The like figure. Oh, Brother St. Clair, you're taking the scripture out of context. What happened with Noah has nothing to do with the New Testament. That's why it was very much included. Peter said, the like figure. Oh, Lord, if I had time, I'd preach to you about that like figure in verse 21. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now 
save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to deal specifically from Scripture. Most denominations teach a doctrine that was initiated uh, by the birth of the Catholic Church about the same time as the birth of the Catholic Church, which states that when a person is being baptized, the words in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost should be spoken over the person being baptized. We understand this is uh, extrapolated from Matthew 28 and 19, Jesus giving the great uh, commission and the great commandment, telling them to go. So I want to, uh, I want something to be very, very clear tonight. We're not going to leave the scripture to discuss this at all. Not yet. But I'm fixing to show you something amazing. Who in here, I'm fixing to give somebody permission. Brother Jordan, I know, I know you can do it. Come up here with me real quick. Bring your phone. Now, I, I want you to open up. Uh, Safari or whatever you use for your browser, whatever you can Google. God knows Google always tells the truth. Now, your screen's clear, is that right? There's nothing on your screen right now. There's nothing on the screen. I want you to just type in these words, or, or you can even say them. When was the baptismal formula changed? Okay. I, I wish I had some Jeopardy. Dumb, dumb, dumb. What's the source that you're going to read from? What's the source? Is it Wikipedia? There's several. Okay. Let's see. Right. This is fine. What's this? Asking, askinglot.com? Sure. Touch on it. Let's see what it says. What's this say? You, would you read that? The Catholic Encyclopedia 2, page 263. The baptismal formula was changed from the name of Jesus Christ to the words Father, Son, and Holy Spirit by the Catholic Church in the second century. Hang on. Say that one more time, just, just for me. Would you read it? One the more? Catholic Encyclopedia 2, page 263, quote, The baptismal formula was changed from the name of Jesus Christ to the words Father, Son, and Holy Spirit by the Catholic Church in the second century, end quote. So the second century, that would be 300s. Right? That's 300 years after the church was born. How were they baptized when the church was born? Thank you, Brother Jordan. They were baptized in the name of Jesus, and they were baptized that way for the next 300 years. Listen, he quoted this to you. This was not the apostolic witness. This was not the Pentecostal Herald. This was the Catholic Encyclopedia, number two, page two, 263. They told on themselves, we changed the baptismal formula from the name of Jesus Christ to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the second century. That means nobody baptized before the second century would have been saved if that was accurate. Well, I want to tell you, when they start putting words... In the apostles' mouth, now, folks, listen, I'm just going to tell you. They claim that Peter was the first pope. But the first pope was baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. They claim that we ought to pray to Mother Mary. But Mother Mary is specifically mentioned in the 120 that were in the upper room and Mary, the mother of Jesus, was baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. You've heard me say this before, but I believe the reason why Mary is specifically mentioned is not for the Catholic Church, but so that people understand she's the only one in the room that had ever had him live inside of her before. And so when the Holy Ghost came, Mary gave him the nod and said, Oh yeah, this is definitely what I felt before. It's him. He's back. He's back. So let's talk about this. Matthew 28, 19. Y'all still with me? You ready to go get a hamburger? 
I guess that could be yes to both questions. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Okay, let's go together. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. However, Jesus gave the keys of the kingdom of heaven to Peter. That's in Matthew 16, 19, if you're taking notes so you know I'm not lying. Peter unlocks the door in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Peter said, repent, be baptized every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So here comes the question of consequence. Did Peter openly contradict the Christ? Or did Peter understand what the Christ said? And I think to unequivocally answer this question, we need to go to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24 and verse, 20, uh, verse 46. I hope you're taking some notes so you'll have these scriptures later. You can never leave the house of God and say, we don't know. He said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. So let's see how Luke records this. Go ahead, verse 47. And that repentance and should be preached in among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. The same commandment. That repentance and remission of sin should be preached in. In his name. So did Peter openly rebel and contradict the Messiah? Well, let's investigate thoroughly tonight and see what the word of God said. Because Matthew, who recorded Jesus' instruction concerning baptism, was standing with Peter. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter along with the other apostles, were asked what must be done to be saved in Acts chapter 2 and verse 14. If Peter would have given an answer that contradicted what Jesus had said, don't you think that Matthew would have raised his hand and said, you're a liar. That is not what Jesus said. Why is it mentioned that he stood with the eleven? If Peter had contradicted what Jesus said concerning baptism, then one of the eleven would have stood up and said, Pete, we know you got a short fuse, and we know that you're an absolute jerk, but now we know that you are an absolute liar. Yeah. Folks, listen to me. I know I'm not, I'm not really preaching. I'm teaching this to you tonight. But I want you to stay with me. I want something to be unequivocally clear to you tonight. If what Peter said contradicted what Jesus said concerning baptism, then you and I can no longer view any of the New Testament writings as accurate because all the other writers of the New Testament agreed with the baptismal formula of Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. And if you know anything about God... God does not stand nor allow such a blatant distortion of the word of God by his chosen twelve. He absolutely would not do it. So did Peter contradict him or did Peter understand what he meant? I believe we can prove it without a doubt tonight. I believe we can. Now, a basic biblical principle that you find all throughout the scripture, but specifically in the New Testament... In 2 Corinthians 13 and 1, this is vitally important. And this is, this is what comes back to that word of hermeneutic, okay, of hermeneutics. The scripture says that out of the mouths of two or three witnesses, somebody say two or three. Two or three. Let every word be established. So if you read a scripture and your interpretation of that scripture is one thing. But you start reading another scripture and... and, and it's completely a different interpretation and it's not accurate. you got to back up and punt. Because we've got, we've got a serious problem. And I mean this. This is, this is absolutely unbelievable. How delusional and deceptive religion has become. They are promoting an idea that you're allowed to see the scripture your way. And I'm allowed to see the scripture my way. There is no such thing as a Pentecostal Bible and a Baptist Bible and a Catholic Bible. 
Oh, 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 yes, sir. I'm going to tell you why. Because the Lord said that if any man adds to or takes away from the words of this book, he's cursed. There's not, a, there's, there's, there's not a Methodist Bible and a Wesleyan Bible or, or an apostolic Bible. There is a Bible. It's 66 canonical books that were chosen by the Lord. And it's either infallible from cover to cover or it's not believable at all. There's, I believe it was Brother Stephen Gale was teaching a few weeks ago. And I, I liked what he said. He said, uh, he said, you got to get past the idea that there are Trinitarian scriptures and there are oneness scriptures. There's just scripture. That's all. There's just scripture. That's all it is. So we've got to have two or three witnesses for the word to be established. In teaching hermeneutics, we always were taught and always have taught. That if you're going to start building doctrine, you need at least three solid scriptural sources to build that doctrine. Okay? So if the only place that you find any language of something, and this is what you said it means, that's the only place you found it, and you don't find it anywhere else in the scripture, it is not hermeneutically sound. Somebody say amen. Amen. Feel like you're in Bible college? It is not hermeneutically sound to nitpick scripture you can't pick the idea that's most popular and that you like and say that's true no it's not if it doesn't fit in the sum total of the whole it's not sound doctrine say amen or oh me so we're going to walk through this and we're going to make the word of God perfect, perfectly sound in Acts chapter 8 verse number 12 But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Now for the sake of time, let's go straight to verse 16. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of Of the Lord Jesus. Acts chapter 10. We're just going to walk through. Acts chapter 10. Verse 48. And he commanded them. To be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Acts 19 and verse 5. When they heard this. They were baptized. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts 22 and verse 16. And now why tarriest thou? Somebody say church history. Arise and be baptized. And wash away thy sins. Calling on the name of the Lord. To be hermeneutically sound. Nowhere in your Bible Is it ever found that anybody, anywhere was baptized using the titles of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? As a matter of fact, the only way we find them baptized at all was John's baptism. And then when the church began in the name of Jesus. And those that were baptized under John's baptism in Acts chapter 19, they were re-baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's keep moving. Everybody doing okay? I know I'm sweating. I don't know if you are or not. Mark 16 and 15. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. These signs shall follow them that believe. Somebody say this out loud with me now. In my name. Somebody shout it again. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick. And they shall recover. Let's go back again very quickly to Luke 24. I like like keeping your head in the game tonight. 
God said unto, and said unto them, Thus it is written, Thus behoove Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name. Matthew 28, 19, Mark 16, and Luke 24 are all three accounts that describe a name. In every single case, including Matthew 28, name is singular. Mark and Luke both unquestionably describe the name of Jesus. The only logical conclusion that you could come to in Matthew 28, 19 is that the name that Jesus was talking about is the name of Jesus. But let's be hermeneutically sound. And let's stay right there in Matthew 28. We let Scripture interpret Scripture, not history interpret Scripture. Matthew 28, powerful chapter. But let's read verse 18. Jesus came and spake, and he said unto them, All power is given to me, somebody say, in heaven and in earth. He's all-powerful. All-powerful. It's not Pentecostal preaching. This is Jesus preaching. Jesus said, I have all power, not just in the earth, but in heaven. So go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name. Somebody say the name. Of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo... I am with you always. Why didn't he say we? Even to the end of the world. Why would Jesus say, I have all power, but I don't have the power for you to be saved in my name? I have all power, but you need to include a couple other names. The context is vitally important for us. Jesus said, I have all power in heaven and in earth, so go baptize the world in my name. Now, if you understand English at all, and I know that the scripture was written in Greek in the New Testament, but if you understand English at all, you understand even in ancient King's English that this is established uh, in, uh, with English rules. And the English rules are that Matthew 28 and 19 are very simply. Now, all you school students, you're going to start snoring because I said education. But Matthew 28 and 19 is only a prepositional phrase. How many of you know what a prepositional phrase is? It's been a while. So we got to understand the context that name is singular. That means uno. It is singular. So as you break down, I got some smart folks in here tonight that could do this. Sister Greg could do this in a hurry, I'm sure. But I want to draw this for you. I need a smart board tonight. I don't have one, Reagan. But we've got baptizing them in the name. You got your line, right? Name, and then you, you break off on the bottom. Name, preposition, father, son, spirit. But it's a prepositional phrase. Father is indicative in the name. Son, indicative in the name. Holy Ghost, indicative in the name. But there's still an issue. There's only one name. There's only, let me say it one more time. There's only one name. He, he, he made it crystal clear. Baptize them in the name. Well, if I had time, and I, a couple Sunday mornings ago, I got distracted on this. And I went in, throttled to the firewall, talking to you about it, so I won't regurgitate all of it. But I just want to walk through a couple things with you. Let's go to Matthew 1 and 21. We've got three titles, but no name. So let's find a name. Matthew 1, 21. I know our 
Projectors are horrible, but can you can y'all see that good enough to read this with me? She shall bring forth a somebody shout it loud. And thou shalt call his name. For he shall save his people from their sins. Therefore, the name of the Son is obviously. Then what's the name of the Father? John 5.43. I'm glad you asked. John 5.43. I'm just going to let y'all read this out loud to me right now. I am come. me not if another shall come in his own name him will you receive John 17 and 6 John 17 and 6 I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Stay in the book. Hebrews 1 and 4. Hebrews 1 and 4 being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Therefore the Father... Has revealed himself to man through the name that was given under heaven in Acts 4.12 among men. You can't, you, you can't outrun this idea. Well, why didn't they talk about the name Jesus in the Old Testament? Because that name wasn't given yet. It was given under heaven among men. Where was it given among men? Through the womb of a virgin. You shall call his name. Who gave that? The angel of the Lord said, this is the name. Give him the name. It's given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. John 14, 26. But the comforter which is the Holy Ghost whom the Father will send in shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever. Come on, somebody shout it now. So ever I have said unto you. The Old Testament predicted that God would be revealed by one name. Zechariah 14, 9. Are y'all bored yet? I'm hurrying. I got ring around the collar. I'm sweating. Zechariah 14, 9. Now, I want to make, I, I just want to make note of something right here. That when we speak in the scripture, we can connect dots beyond a shadow of a doubt. Zechariah 14, 9, scripture is just like this. The Bible says, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. Somebody say, the Lord. Lord. Who's the Lord? Well, according to Ephesians 3, 4, and 5, there's only one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. One God and Father of all who's above all, through all. And in you all. Somebody say amen. Amen. So let's talk about this right here. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day. Somebody say that day. There shall be. That never changed folks. There was always one Lord. And he shall. There shall be one Lord and his name, one. Somebody shout one. One. This is really not as confusing as people have made it. There shall be one Lord and his name, one. Jesus is the only name that brings salvation. Acts 4 and 12 is so plain. It's the only Name. Somebody say the only name. name. Under heaven. Given among men. Come on, finish it for me. Whereby? Man, y'all are preaching so good. 
So then what if, what, 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 what if I have not been baptized in the name of Jesus? What if I've been baptized some other way? What if I've been baptized in the titles? What if I've been baptized by Hare Krishna? What if I've been baptized by Buddha? What if I've been baptized? Listen, it's irrelevant how you've been baptized before now. If you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name, your sins haven't been remitted. And you don't want to walk around without your sins being remitted. Come on, somebody. It came to pass in Acts 19 and 1 that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, finding certain disciples. He said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said unto him, We have not even so much as heard whether there be a Holy Ghost. He said unto them, Under what then were you baptized? They said, John's baptism. Good. He said, You've been baptized before. John baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying that people should believe on him, which should come after him, that is on on Christ Jesus, and when they heard, they sat around and had a business meeting called the board together, called the district superintendent, called the dean of theology, said, we got a serious problem. This goofball came into town telling us our baptism wasn't good. They said, when they heard this, somebody say, when? When they heard this, that means right then, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So now comes the point when you got to decide, will you hang on to tradition or will you obey the truth of Jesus Christ? I'm going to give you eight reasons. I'll give you eight reasons. I'm hurrying to a close. That's not eight points. It's eight reasons. Why Matthew 28, 19 refers to the name of Jesus in baptism. Number one, its grammar designates one name. Its context shows that Jesus described his power, all power in heaven and earth, and therefore told the disciples to baptize in his name. Mark and Luke's descriptions of the same instructions of Christ show that Jesus was the only name mentioned. Number four, the early church, including Matthew, carried out Christ's instructions by baptizing in the name of Jesus. Number five, the name of the Father is Jesus. Well, how do you get that? Because John 5.43 said... That the Father's revealed through the name of Jesus. And Jesus said, No man cometh to the Father but by me. The name of the Son is Jesus, according to Matthew 1 and 21. The name of the Holy Ghost is Jesus. The Holy Ghost is revealed through the name of Jesus. In John 14, 26, he said, I will not leave you comfortless, but I will come to you again. Number eight, God has revealed himself in the New Testament by one name. According to Zechariah 14 and 9, there would be one Lord and he would have one name. But Revelations chapter 22 and verse 3. I'm closing. Revelation 22 and 3. Somebody shout amen. amen. Revelations 22 and verse number 3. If you would just very quickly. There shall be no more curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall shall serve him. Verse 4. And they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads. Folks, this is not multiple choice. There's not multiple names. There's not multiple ideas. If we cannot take one scripture and find at least two more scriptures to agree with our concept. Somebody tell me what it's not. It is not her. It is not hermeneutically correct. There is nowhere in the Bible. I would give. Uh, Brother Sean's not here. We used to talk about this all the time. Sister Kelly when your dad in Craig, Colorado ran the newspaper article. Do you remember how much money it was with 10000 
It was several thousand dollars. It was thousands of dollars. He ran a newspaper article and said, I'll give this many thousands of dollars, whatever it was, to anybody in this city, to anybody that reads this newspaper, that can show me where one person in the Bible was baptized after Pentecost any other way than in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you what's amazing. The phone never rang. Because we can talk about history all you want to talk about. But let's just talk about the Bible. Nobody was ever anywhere baptized in titles. Never. It didn't happen, Brother Jones. Nowhere in the Scripture was anybody baptized any other way than in the name of the Lord Jesus. What? Why not? Because the apostles, I love the way Peter said He said, these are the things which we have seen and we have heard. We are eyewitnesses. Hey, I'm going to tell you what. I'm not going to take Constantine's word for it. I'm going to take the word of the eyewitness that was there. And the eyewitness heard him say, baptize him in the name. Baptize him in the name. Let's stand together. So tonight I will extend the invitation. That if anyone ever happens to see this video. And they can find one place in the scripture where anybody was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost as titles. We'll empty every dime in this church's account and give it to them. Now, I don't know that it's going to be much. But we'll empty it out. And I'll empty my bank account and add it to it. Can I have yours, Brother Matt? Are you that confident, sir? You're that confident that you must be baptized in the name of Jesus. He said you what? He said you must be born again. Anybody in here confident enough that you'd lay your life on the line that you must be born again of water and spirit and there's only one spirit and there's only one Lord and one faith and one baptism? I'm going to tell you what's going to kill us in the end time. It's this little bumper sticker that you see all over the place that says coexist. Brother Mike, you and I have had a bunch of conversations about this. Many, many Tuesdays. That somebody's going to stand before the Lord that said, you just believe what you want to believe. I believe what I want to believe. And we'll just go to heaven together. I wish it was that easy. But Jesus, not John, not Paul, not Peter, Jesus told Nicodemus, Except a man be born again of water and the Spirit. He said you can't see the kingdom of heaven and you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Brothers and sisters, I love people so much. I love to be with people. I love to spend time with people. I love to eat with people. I love to have Bible studies with people. I've bugged poor brother Mike Miller for six months probably. How long have we been meeting? At least six, eight months. Every Tuesday, this is a normal Tuesday, we meet. Just a few weeks ago, he came to me. He said, Pastor, I want to be baptized in Jesus' name. So it was the week before Easter, I think. Brother Mike and Joyce and their grandson, Nolan, all three went down in Jesus' name in a watery grave of baptism. He said, I've been baptized before. But why would anybody ever not want to do this? <laughs> I'll never forget that day. And I'm not just trying to embarrass. I, I, I don't want to do that. But he stood back there in that hallway with tears in his eyes. And he said, Phew. you remember? He shook his head, Brother Gray. He said, Why would anybody not want to do this? I'm so grateful that there is a saving name. 
His name is Jesus. It's, it's simple enough, Brother Jordan. I just want to sing this part. Jesus from the mountains. Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the dark.